whilst this week's sports on on Salford City Radio, I'm Rob Parkinson, and we're here talking all things sports in Salford. Join the show this week, as ever, we've got James Sweetnam. James, looking forward to talking all things sports in Salford and beyond. Very much so, Rob. It's been a cracking week in the world of sport, hasn't it? And I can't wait to break everything down with you over the next hour. Yes, yeah, so we'll start with the football, James. And England, 2-1 against Switzerland. Good result for Gareth Southgate's men. Yeah, a sensational result for Gareth Southgate's men. Switzerland, a very good side. They started brightly with Ambolo bagging a pretty good goal. England leaking that one. Not great form from the defence, but regardless, we got back into it. Shaw bagged the first goal. Harry Kane bagged the second goal. A good result all in all. And Harry Kane very, very, very close now to catching up Wayne Rooney for that all-time goal-scoring record. Yeah, where do you, where do you rate uh, Harry Kane, obviously, you know, he's getting closer to, to Wayne Rooney. He's past uh, Gary Lineker. Um, obviously, he's on his way to being England's top, top uh, goal scorer of all time. He is. And I think the reason why he's criminally underrated, Rob, is because he's playing for Tottenham. It's as right. simple as that. Could you imagine the credit he'd get if he was at Manchester City winning trophies, if he was at Barcelona winning trophies? The reason why we're not holding him up there in the same legend as the same calibre as a player like Wayne Rooney is because he's not got that silverware. Mm. He's 28 now, so time is gradually ticking away. Let's not beat around the bush. He's still got time. It's not completely a lost cause for him, but he can't stay at Tottenham forever for me. He's got to move on at some point. I mean, Carlos Puglial, for example, only won his trophy at 27, and then he went on to win another 24. So it is possible, but he needs to move on. Yeah, you say that, but obviously we look at Alan Shearer, who, who was, you know, with Newcastle, with Blackburn, never played for a top top club, even though he did win the, the Premier League with Blackburn at one point, and he is sort of sort of talked about as being, you know, one of the greatest uh, Premier League goal scorers of all time. So and England as well. So obviously, is he going to be in the same boat as him? Obviously, with Alan Shearer, that never played for a top top uh, team, but banged goals in wherever he went. Alan Shearer is renowned for being a legend, especially because he picked a team in Newcastle that he adored. It was his boyhood club. It was always his dream to play there. And when Sir Alex Ferguson tracked him down and asked him to join, he turned him down. If you remember, Rob, I think we had this discussion a few months ago on the show, how Sir Alex Ferguson turned up to uh, try and bribe, uh, well, not bribe, probably the wrong word, but try and convince <laughs> Alan Shearer to uh, join Manchester United at a Brian Adams concert. And Shearer sung into the night and woke up in the morning fancying going back to the club he'd always loved at Newcastle. Mm. Does Harry Kane have the same affiliation with Tottenham? Will he be happy going, yes, I might not have won trophies, but I spent my time at Tottenham, a club I loved. Or will he need to move on to feel happy about his career? He'd have to, he'd have to score another 80 goals, um, Harry Kane. You say he's, what, 28 now? 28 years old, yeah. So what's that? 20 a season for the next four years. Doable. Yeah, yeah, very much so, Rob. I mean, other other strikers have, uh, have scored a lot less. And, I mean, other strikers have also managed to do that. I mean, Ronaldo, I think, in, what, 2008, bagged 42. Harry Kane, he's not quite on that level, but he's a prolific goal scorer. You wouldn't put it past him doing that. I think it's very possible. But as we keep going back to this and we look at his legacy... Without a Champions League on his mantelpiece, without a Premier League on his mantelpiece, is it just a wasted career? Because it's not like, for example, Steven Gerrard, who might have never crossed the line in the Premier League, but he's got the Champions League in his cabinet. Or Alan Shearer, as you've just mentioned, never has a Champions League, 
but he does have a Premier League with Blackburn. At the moment, Kane's got nothing. It's a good point. It's a good point, Jay. Because obviously, when when your career is over, you look at the big point, the high points, don't you? And Alan Shearer won a won a Premier League uh, with Blackburn Rovers. He was with England all the way through the, the you know the Euro '96 and and all that. But I suppose Harry Kane did get us to uh, the European Championship finals this year. So he is the captain of, of the team, and we don't know what's going to happen in the World Cup at the the end of this year. So you're hoping, if obviously we can continue our run. Um, you know, who knows? We could be we could be victorious. There's a long way uh, to to go. Let's be fair, but you know the uh, the the football gods. All they need to be do is, is be with you, uh, James, and uh, and we go and go there and win. Yeah, we've got to hope for the best, haven't we? In Qatar, I do fancy us. Obviously, we've got another friendly coming up against the Ivory Coast. Not the easiest of games, but one we should win. And that draw for the World Cup is very very close. I think it's about five or so days away. So we're getting nearer. And as soon as that draw is done, we will begin to get the feeling of World Cup fever because it really isn't that far away. Yeah. He also say Luke Shaw, uh, he scored a goal. Not getting much of a look in at United uh, in the last uh, few, few weeks, uh, but you know playing really well uh, for England. Obviously scored in the Euro final against Italy. That's a highlight for him. Will he continue to get that international spot uh, if he's not playing every week for Man U? I think so, because Gareth Southgate clearly believes in him. And, and why wouldn't he? He just scored against Switzerland. As you say, he scored in the final of the year of 2020. So he's clearly capable of bringing it to the big stage when he needs to. So I think Gareth Southgate will continue to have faith in him. But another England player I'll quickly mention is Maguire, who mm. failed to make it into the team against Switzerland on the bench throughout the entire fixture. And a video has emerged of him and Henderson in training having a bit of a debate actually that they're playing a bit of a training exercise a rondo as it's called in the trade where you've got a circle full of players two defenders stuck in the middle and it's a simple pass it around the defenders they're doing one touch and henderson is joyfully counting us i think they get up to 43 something <laughs> or other right. like that and then Maguire, quite bizarrely chooses to take another touch of the ball and henderson asks him what are you doing uh so harry Maguire, very poor season all in all he comes away and he's looking for a much-needed break. Sometimes when you've got a problem, if you get away from it, you can unwind and you can come back reinvigorated with a new mindset. But it seems he's getting abuse even off his international teammates, so there's no escape for Harry Maguire. Yeah, he's not having the, the greatest of, of, of season. It has to be said, uh, James. But I, I just think, obviously, he is a proven uh, international defender. He has leadership capabilities. I've always said with with uh, Harry Maguire, it's about pace. If 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 he gets caught one on one with uh, a speed merchant, he's in trouble. Obviously, with England, uh, he has got speed around him. Pace is is king at international uh, level, and he has players around him that can cover his gaps. So. With Manchester United, it's not the same, and that is why he sometimes is is sort of left exposed. But he is a leader of men, and he he does well sometimes. You know, defensively, you know, he's a rock. Uh, but it is interesting to see how he will fit in uh, to the uh, the Man United team moving forward. Because obviously, Ralph's only here till the end of the season. We still haven't heard uh, about a possible replacement for him, uh, and this new man coming in may or may not fancy Harry Maguire. So, with the World Cup coming up as well, it's such an important twelve months in it for for Harry Maguire that he gets his his performance level up uh, for England and Manchester United and prove the doubt is wrong. 
Yeah, most definitely, Robert. It appears like he's enduring a bit of a prolonged hangover, doesn't it, from the European Cup when they sensationally lost in the final. He must still be gutted with that one, and hopefully he can gradually get back into form. And who knows, maybe if Eric Ten Hag comes in at the end of the season, or Pochettino comes in at the end of the season, maybe they can bring Maguire back to his best. Because I think the narrative that he's been awful for a few seasons is a bit harsh. I think that... At his best, he's a good player, he's a reliable player, and there's a reason why he became captain in the first place. But another few players will be disappointed are all those playing for Italy, because sensationally, yeah. they failed to qualify for the World Cup. Two World Cups in a row. Absolutely horrific. Coming off the back of becoming the champions of Europe, North Macedonia have knocked them out in the qualifying playoffs. I think in the 91st minute, a beautiful strike from one of their most renowned players, and Italy are out. Yeah, crazy scenes. Um, obviously, Roberto Mancini, you know, not sort of happy with that performance. Obviously, going from the highest high uh, of the Euro uh, Championship success to being dumped out of, a, of the World Cup qualifiers by uh, North Macedonia. It's it's not, you know, what the Italians want. The Italians expect football is their, you know, their pastor in it, their, their belief, their, their love. And not, not playing at the highest stage in the world really will cut deep with it with the Italians and it will be interesting to see uh, if they decide to to let him continue because obviously if uh, if you know you're looking at the the team they've got a good side there really and you know you, you're wondering you know what what went wrong and and can they fix it up for next time yeah i mean where does the problem come from rob because this has happened twice now so surely it can't be overlooked but right in the middle of this awful sandwich is some beautiful jam in terms of winning that <laughs> European Championship. So, have they just been unlucky in what's gone on, or is there a deeper problem there? Yeah, it's it is a thing that obviously when you're playing uh, international uh, football and the pressure comes on, and you know to win the Euros one season and and then obviously drop out of the the next tournament is is a is a real kicking the tee for Italian football and yeah it's going to be interesting to see what happens obviously Mancini is a winner he did really well at City uh, he's, he's coaching his, his, his national team and the expectation is there so it's disappointing for the um, disappointing for them disappointing for the Italians um, but I'm sure they'll, they'll re-evaluate James uh, and get ready to defend the title uh, the European title uh, in two years time yeah I think so I mean I mean, from an English perspective, how do we feel about this, Rob? Because this is the team who beat us in the European Championship final. Yeah, that's that's the kicker, you see, James, because they they stopped us from reaching the promised land, didn't they? And for for in a way, they are there in the in the World Cup now, so that's one less team to worry about. But we know what it's like with England; it's not the big teams you've got to watch out for. To be fair. It's, it's North Macedonia and teams like you've got to you've got to worry about the the teams that come in under the radar and the expectation levels of us fans and, and the English media expect England. But let's let's play a bit right. We got to the final of the Euros. We've done really well going through qualifying. There's no fear in this England team. Gareth Southgate talks about you know the the players' mentality and how they aren't hearted by previous uh, misdemeanors and previous failures. This team is ready to win. And I think, you know, it, it could be the, the World Cup where we do. I mean, we hope so, don't we? I mean, 
it, it feels written in the stars that Gareth Southgate is going to do something with this squad. He took us all the way to the semi-finals. He then takes us a step further to the final, and you're desperate to see him cross the, uh, cross the line, should I say, Rob, and now and make some legends. That's ultimately what he wants to do. But talking at legends, Rob, there's been a great game this week between Liverpool legends and Barcelona legends, a right. game that was raising money for a lot of charities, some great players involved, the likes of your Dirk Kites, your Avaldos, your Steven Gerrards, your Edgar Davids, all these great, great players. Steven Gerrard taking the lead early for his side via the spot kick, the legendary Anfield midfielder bagging it with ease, but Barcelona coming into the game, Giovanni scoring the first goal, Rivaldo smashing a penalty home, ultimately Barcelona winning this game. But there's always something special about these matchups where we get a little bit of nostalgia. Yeah, you got you got to love them, haven't you, James? You, you, I love to watch uh, these old players, you know, come back and 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 show us, you know, what what they could do. Obviously, they they have done everything, and it's all about entertainment uh, for them. And it is a kind of a, a really good thing. It's something like watching soccer aid. I think I suppose it's a step. Uh, up from Soccer Aid because Soccer Aid's kind of like celebrities are all involved as well. So these kind of games are all pros, aren't they? But they're there just for the love of the game. And there was another one this week as well. Paul Gascoigne, he played uh, for Rangers uh, legend and they took on a World Eleven uh, to celebrate their 150th anniversary and to raise money for Lewis, the Luis Vigo Foundation. And he scored uh, for Rangers. And uh, the emotion uh, emotion he showed uh, was, was really, really touching. He, he you know broke down in tears and all the things that Paul Gascoigne's been going through in the last few years, it was it was such a nice thing f- to see him back on the football field uh, and scoring goals and showing the magic that he once had. Yeah, it's good to see the legends, isn't it? I mean, Rob, if there's any player from your entire life that you've watched that you could see go under the lights one last time, grace the pitch again, right in front of you, who would it be? It'd be Paul Gascoigne, James. Paul Gascoigne, I think, was was the greatest uh, English player I've seen in the flesh. He had he had everything in his peak. He, he was strong. He he was quick. He had an ability to beat a man, uh, you know, from from in front of them. Snakes, snakes, uh, snaky hips. He used to dance his way through through that, uh, you know, defence. Creative, cheeky as well. Uh, obviously, as the years went by and and, and the alcoholism t- took took over, it, it it kind of you know took a bit away from him. But when you look back to sort of the let's say the early nineties, he was he was unplayable when he when he was with Newcastle and Tottenham and and you'd be you know if you wanted him uh, sort of net, playing then and he was dumped into the Premier League now he'd be he'd be a, he'd be unbeatable. Yeah, he probably would be, Rob. He's got that extra added bit of physicality that players nowadays don't have. Yeah. And that's it, James. That's that's right, because a lot of players these days are sort of programmed to to play sort of wide, sort of edged, you know, they call it coast to coast, where they're going from one wing to another. And he just loved he just picked the ball up, he'd have his he'd have his head up and he and he'd just go down the middle and he'd beat men. A bit like George Best for United. You see all these videos of George Best just sort of slalom his way uh, down the middle of the field beating men. Uh, he had that and and I I've struggled to to think of another English player, probably Joe Cole was probably the nearest one, uh, but I felt it, that was coached out of him uh, in, in in England. Um, but yeah, Paul Gascoigne for me, greatest English talent that I've ever seen. Yeah, very much so. I mean, this is a similar question now, Rob, 
Go on. But I'd like a name other than Gascoigne, purely because we've covered him. Okay. But who would you like to play with? <sighs> um, English player I'd like to play with, for me, or world be uh, Alan Shearer. I think he, he scores goals, doesn't he? Uh, back in back in the back in the day, you you you'd have to obviously feed him, but he, he had talent, and you know I, I said we, we scored sort of two hundred and sixty odd goals in Premier League, so he he would be the guy that's going to pop the ball in the net. You just have to provide the ball for him. I'm not saying I'm I'm, I'm no uh, Diego Maradona, but I think I'd be able to provide a few goals for him uh, in that season we played together, which we took, which took England to to World Cup glory and Newcastle to the Premier uh, to the Premier League title. Well, I do enjoy, Rob, the idea of you feeding the ball into Newcastle's finest and him slotting it home in a bit of a Laurel and Hardy double act. Almost. <laughs> but uh, moving on to another story from this week, Laurent Koscielny, Arsenal legend, who's retired from professional football. He moved to Bordeaux in 2019. If you remember, after such a legendary career at Arsenal winning three FA Cups and two Community Shields. He fell out of favour with the club and he refused to go on a pre-season training tour to the States to try and force a move through to Bordeaux. Ultimately, he got that move, but it didn't work out. A plethora of injuries and then they removed him from their official playing staff due to the fact that he was having so many poor performances and they didn't believe he was worth his salary. He's officially retired now amid some racism accusations from an ultras group. He adamantly denies that. So, uh, obviously, we won't talk about that too much until more details come out about it. But in terms of his actual career, how do we look back on this one? Did he make the right decision leaving Arsenal to go to Bordeaux or or should he have stayed at the Emirates? I think he should have stayed at the Emirates. I think Arsenal uh, lost a lot of players around that time. uh, And, uh, yeah, him departing caused the, the, the rot to set in and I think if he had his time again James he'd have stayed what do you think? Probably I mean hindsight is a beautiful thing isn't it because he was so desperate for that move to Bordeaux when he got it mm. but he abandoned the club where he made his mark mm. and sometimes I mean for years we, we said that Lionel Messi needs to leave uh, La Liga to try and prove something. Ultimately, he ends up going to Liga 1. Not yeah. the league we'd have liked him to have gone to, but he still moved from Barcelona. And if anything, it's degraded his legacy a little bit because now people are saying they've got proof that he isn't as good as Ronaldo, that he couldn't do it in multiple leagues. So sometimes, is it the wrong decision to take a risk? Sometimes it can be, James. But like you said with, with Harry Kane before, if you want to be successful you have to go where you think you have more chance of winning a trophy and he obviously thought you know that France was the way way to go but we'll have to you know he has to live with that every day every day don't he James and he'll lie in bed at night wondering whether he made that right or wrong decision uh, and he suppose his trophy cabinet will, will tell him you know whether he did or not uh, talking about our other uh, local. We'll talk about our local size now, James. Salford City FC uh, won 2-1 against Walsall good result uh, for Gary Bowie's men yeah, yeah, very much so. A good result uh, beating Walsall 2-1, rising from the brink of defeat, really. I mean, they went 1-0 uh, down fairly early, managed to get back into the game via Smith and via Watson. So a good result. And as we've said, week and week and week after week with Salford, they're only getting better, aren't they? Yeah. They're on their own at the moment. Absolutely sensational. They've got two massive games coming up. Once against Crawley. Once against Hartlepool, Salford obviously being in 11th, Crawley and Hartlepool in 12th and 13th respectively. So at this stage in the season, 
winning games against the people next year is of vital, vital importance. It is, James. It's really, it's like knockout football, really. When you're, everyone's chasing for the the playoffs, if you can beat the people around you, it's a massive uh, statement of intent in it for Gary Bowyer's men. You know, they'll be hoping uh, and praying they continue with that momentum because that's important. Momentum is important in, t- uh, in the playoff scramble. And if they can continue to, to, to win games and get up to the... Uh, the, the playoff system, anything can happen at the end of the season. Most certainly. We're going to have to wait to see how it all plays out. But quickly, looking at the Premier League, Rob, two games for Manchester United and Manchester City, one apiece. And first up, United with the slightly tougher game, they're taking on Leicester. Yes, uh, Leicester is a tough contest. Um, but we, we talked about Manchester United, haven't we? And, and the, the situation that they find themselves in, uh, Ralph will will be wanting to, you know, you know his players to play, and we want them to to, to play, and it will be interesting to see what happens. We 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 kind of need uh, a a good run of results to get us uh, get the momentum going. If we can get got momentum uh, in the next uh, few weeks and and chase for that uh, super, uh, for the uh, European spot, who knows what might happen? It's going to be exciting, uh, but they do need to start winning and winning well. And then last up, Rob, before we move on, Manchester City away at Burnley. They've got a bit of a history of absolutely smashing uh, the north uh, west side. So are we expecting that to happen again? Yeah, I think I think it's going to be a, a difficult thing, James. Uh, but, you know, we've got to have confidence in them uh, that we'll get a result. Most certainly, Rob. There's some very interesting games coming up in the Premier League. And you make sure you watch them, guys, because we'll be analysing it all this time next week. But now moving on to the world of ice hockey. Manchester Storm have got two games this week. Talk us through them. Yeah. The two games this week, they played five, who, who are bottom of the, of the table, like we said last week, and they won four. One at home, goals from uh, Dallas Earhart, Adam Brady and Tyson Fawcett. Uh, put the uh, the Manchester Storm uh, engine up to the playoff spot, hoping that we can continue that run. They're playing fantastic ice hockey, James. Let's let's be fair, they're on a bit of a good run at the moment. Then they played she- they Sheffield on the Sunday, Derby Day at Sheffield, and lost 2-1 goal from Frankie the Tank. Melton, was it enough uh, for the Storm uh, to get their two-win weekend? But we're still in the mix for a playoff. There's still games to go. And you're hoping that the Ryan Finney's men can get back on the on the bike and get a get a good run to that playoff spot. You're hoping so, because at the start of the season, it didn't necessarily look like that. They were struggling with form, but it appears they've hit it at just the right time. That's right, James. It's, it's all about coming good at the right time. Uh, and you're, you're hoping we can obviously set back from uh, last week's defeat against Sheffield. They've got Sheffield twice. Uh, this week at home on Wednesday and, and on Sunday, I think. So, uh, the oh sorry, Saturday. So you know you you're hoping that the the fans down at the Storm Shelter can can get that Derby Day atmosphere up and running, and uh, we'll be uh, celebrating a, another two win weekend this week. Now, Rob, ice hockey rinks are always always white, like the ice. It's what we're all accustomed to. But this week it wasn't. It was pink. Can you mm. talk us through that, Rob? Yeah. This week, Manchester Storm had a uh, 
bring, uh, make the pink rink, make the rink pink even. Uh, and it was for breast uh, cancer awareness, uh, James. It's obviously a, a very important thing. Uh, and the whole club and the whole ice hockey got behind it. Uh, and obviously it was very good. A lot of fans got involved. There was a new shirt out as well. Uh, and it all raised money for that charity, which is, which is very important. Obviously, you know, People need to be aware uh, of of that illness, and and you, you're hoping that the storm's profile uh, can can sort of help that uh, thing grow. Most certainly, Rob. It's a fantastic cause, and it's amazing that so many people got behind this. But before we move on to the world of rugby, Rob, talk us through the fixtures for ice hockey. Yeah, like I said, this week, uh, James, we have got two fixtures, both against Sheffield. It's a, it's a massive, massive contest. Obviously, if we want uh, the Manchester Storm to be in the playoff mix uh, come uh, end of the season, two big games, need two big wins, uh, and you're hoping Ryan Finney's men have enough in the tank uh, to, to get into that playoff spot. If, if we can get into the playoffs uh, at the end of the season, anything anything can happen. We've got some fantastic players uh, in that Storm squad um, which are starting to fire. So if we can uh, get the ball rolling uh, in the net, well, the ball, the puck rolling in the next uh, couple of weeks, uh, who knows what might happen. So let's talk rugby league. Now we're joined by Paul Whiteside from the Devil in the Detail. Uh, Paul, so for this week, we're not out of the challenge cut by Wigan. Talk us through it. Yeah, it won't take me long to talk you through it from a solver point of view, Rob. <laughs> they were uh, they were pretty pretty poor, really. You know, losing by twenty points to nil, and it, it was a, probably in my time watching solver, it's probably one of the most least eventful games from a solver sports perspective that you could I think I've ever seen. I don't think there was. I can count on maybe three fingers the chances that we had. I mean, Reese Williams had a. A slight chance when the ball went out wide. Nothing nothing to write home about, really. So we never really tested Wigan, and it was a poor performance, I thought. I mean, Wigan didn't really have to get out a second gear. They were methodical. They were workmanlike. They sort of ground us down. They got a couple of tries at the back of our mistakes. And I think mistakes was the... Uh, was the big the big word really from from Paul Rowley mistakes and errors you know the amount of knock-ons we did and gifting uh, Wigan possession where we couldn't get any sort of foothold in the game so an awful lot of mistakes and uh, and yeah a, re- a real night to forget for the supporters really so uh, you know challenge cuts prestigious competition and to go out twenty points to nil. It was a bit of a bit of a disappointment, especially when you see some of the results from the weekend. You know, some of the you know the championship sides uh, did did really well and nearly caused upsets. And you know, Warrington were, were beaten by Wakefield again, which is a fantastic result for them. So it was disappointing to go out. I think it's not. This wasn't the Wigan team of the of the sort of the late eighties, early nineties. Let's have it right. They were a decent side, but I don't think they're twenty nil better than Salford. So uh, sorry, yeah, I was very very disappointed with the performance. Yeah, serious injury for James Greenwood as well. Be missing for a few, for a few weeks in. Yeah, I've not seen the incident. Um, I only saw it live at the game, and to be honest, you're not you can't really see from where you sat in the stand. So I don't know. I know Thomas uh, Lula. I was put on report for it. Somebody told me it was a hip drop tackle. I'm not dead sure what one of them is. Um, I'd have to watch it again, have a look at that, but. You know, he did, he did get put on report, so it'll be interesting to see what, what he gets from that. But that's not going to help us if he gets a ban. I mean, you've got to feel sorry for James Greenwood. I mean, he's had a torrid time with injuries over the last couple of seasons at Salford. He's never really been able to get any consistency in, in the team. You know, he'll play a couple of games, then picking injuries. You've got to feel sorry for the lad. He's a, he's a really good forward on his day as well, but he's, he's just been so, so unlucky with injuries, I believe. 
he, he, I think he went to hospital on Friday night. He was on crutches at the side of the pitch. I could see him on crutches. I don't know whether he, what he's broken or what he's done. Perhaps looks like an ankle problem or something like that. But I think from what Paula Rowley said in the press conference, he's talking months more than weeks that he's going to be out for. So that that's a massive blow for us, especially with Shane Wright being out. That's you, you two back rowers out injured now. So um, I, I've, got, I've got a feeling we might have to, to look in the uh, the loan market or something. You'll bring somebody in. Low mark, obviously with the back rowing, back row problem uh, so with all these injuries. What do you think Paul Rowley will, what will he do? Will he go for a bigger back row as in a light uh, weight prop forward in, in the back row or will he decide to go for a heavyweight uh, back to go into that into that role which one do you think he'll do um I hope they bring somebody in loan but I mean I don't say they don't say say we don't bring anybody in loan what would I do with the squad that we've got now we've got Ryan Lannan that can play there so Ryan Lannan's a is a back rower I I'd probably put Jack Armrod in the back row because I know he Jack's got a bit of pace once he gets going. Yeah. And it's not really been working for him at prop. So perhaps with him running out wide in sort of the channels, you know, you know, getting him doing sort of what Ben Murdoch Masilla used to do. He could be a bit of a wrecking ball out wide, so that could be an option. You've got Elijah Taylor who could probably play in the back row. I like Elijah at loose forward, to be honest with you. Um we could bring Danny Addy in at loose forward, but I don't know. I don't think Danny's performances have been that good this season so far. So that's why he's not been in the team. So I think you have to jiggle it round a bit. So if it, you know, if it stays the same, if it was me at Wakefield, I'd put Landon and Jack Armrod as, as my two back rowers. Obviously, you're probably going to need somebody else there as well on the bench to fill in. Um, Josh Johnson, I'm not too sure. I mean, Harvey Levett's about four weeks out, so that's that's a shame we've not got him to plonk back straight back in. But uh, I think it, it he's one that we've really not forgotten about but he hopefully he'll be like a new player when he comes back because he's quality and, and we've really missed him so um, so yeah I think yeah Jack Armand and Ryan Lannan for me and then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll jiggle it round as well yeah Wakefield away uh, this week and Paul obviously opportunity to bounce back yeah Wakefield's going to be tough Rob you know we've got a poor record there at Wakefield they're a very very good home side um, they really get behind them at Bellevue and they've had two fantastic wins. They only beat Warrington away two weeks running and beat them well. They, they beat them by 10 points in the in the league game and then they've gone away there at the weekend and the book is given 5-2, to two, I think, and a 10-point start. So they, they obviously fancied Warrington to win and they've gone there again and turned them over. So, you know, Willie Poaching, you know, we know all about Willie at his time at Salford, lovely fella. He's he's doing a really good job at Wakefield, moulding a good side. They've got some quality players as well, you know, uh, Johnston on the wing, you know, Miller, halfback Miller and Lino, two good halfbacks there. Max Jowett's come back from suspension at fullback. They've got some decent forwards in um, Dave Fafita, Matty Ashurst, among others. So they've got a useful side of Wakefield in own mugs, and that's going to be a tough game for Salford. It really is, and uh, you know it's a game we need to win because we've just we've just built a little, little bit of a cushion, haven't you? Know, with that win over Leeds, we've got six points now, so we've got a bit of a cushion above the teams below us, but. Wakefield to win that game, then you sort of being sucked back down. So it's a, so it's a big one that on Sunday. Yeah, obviously looking at all the uh, the Challenge Cup results uh, for this uh, weekend: Hull, Set Ellens, Catalan, Hull, Kingston Rovers, Castleford, Wakefield, Huddersfield, and Wigan are through to the next round. Who, who do you fancy to win the whole thing? Um, do you know what? I'd like to see two teams get to Wembley that have not been there for an awful long time. So mm. I, I think I'd like Wakefield to get there. I think. I think out of all the Super League clubs, they're 
they're the one that's gone the longest now without getting to Wembley. It was us, wasn't it? We're 69, but we got there a few years ago. So I think Wakefield's last appearance was 79. So it'd be nice to see them get there. Um, also Huddersfield, you know, I think they're looking like they're uh, they're doing something this season. I've no I've no qualms about Watson Huddersfield getting there. Yeah, two two fresh teams for me that have not been there for a long time. I think that'd be be a good final, and and you could possibly get that now. You know, there's um, there's some big sides are going to go out in the next round. Catalans are, are playing Saint Helens. I think that's in France as well, so that'd be a tough game for Saint Helens. Wigan are not going to have it easy against Wakefield. That's going to be a cracking cup tie. I'd like to see that on the television. That Wakefield and Wigan at Wakefield as well. You know that that could they could turn Wigan over there. That'd be a great game to watch. So I've seen some of the games at the weekend. I watched a bit of Barrow's game. They gave a a good effort against Huddersfield and, and to be honest with you they give a lot of penalties away and, and, and mistakes in the first half if they could have been a bit more steady that could have been even closer than what it was I thought Whitehaven's effort against St. Helens was absolutely tremendous you know I think it was 40 points in the end but I mean that, that they kept St. Helens at bay for an awful long time in that game all KR were pushed all the way by Lee as well so uh, there's been some uh, there's been some cracking games at the weekend I think for me it just shows you that the Super League side should be coming in the competition earlier than what they do. I think they should be coming in the last 32, like the FA Cup. Give these Championship and League One sides the chance to play big sides. And, you know, perhaps there's not always going to be upsets. There might be some big scores. But I think the way it's seeded at the moment with them coming in the last 16 with just four non-Super League clubs, I think it's a nonsense, really. You need to get the, you need the magic of the Cup building back. So I think that needs looking at. Yeah, let's talk about our ladies' side. They played Featherstone Lionesses this weekend in the League Cup, Paul, and won 80 points to nil away from home. What a result uh, for Chris Bates' ladies. Yeah, um, blown away by that result. I don't really know what to say. It's, um, wow. I mean, Featherstone Lionesses have, have been a... Quite an established side for a number of years now, and to go there, I think what it does, it just shows how special that group of players is that Salford ladies have got, and how far they can go. There's obviously some talent there in that that side, and the the good thing and exciting thing is at the moment is they're building so much momentum. You know, week in week out, it's growing a little bit more. More people are talking about it, and they're knocking the results off. So um, we keep saying that on the podcast, don't we? That they they probably can't wait now to to get into a league and have a have an aim. You know, to go for that Super League like next season, they'll be in the Championship at the moment. The friendlies and cup games, but these friendlies and cup games are the bread and butter at the moment, and these are helping galvanise the team and put the team together. So. They'll be growing in confidence every single week. And away from home as well, 80 points. That's a great result, really. Is. And uh, yeah, I think we've got something special building there. Yeah, they do say rhythm is a dancer. McKeown is the answer. Seven tries for, for Lucy McKeown. The fullback is on fire. Who came up with that song, Bob? Is it one of yours, that? That'll be one of mine. That's why I keep plugging it. It's uh, it's going up to the, the top of the chart. I've never had a have a song take take such a such an uplift. Uh, the uh, it's gone yeah. viral, so we're hoping I that thought, I thought uh, it was she continues in a great fun. She's got was it twelve tries in three games or something like that. So she's yeah. uh, she's certainly uh, living up to the song. She certainly is, yeah, and uh, very good on that, Rob. I thought it was uh, <laughs> one of yours, that. But yeah, t- twelve tries in three games. That's uh, that's some going. That 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 mm. takes some doing. That and uh, and and yeah, like I said, a real talented uh, group of ladies they've got there, and uh, I think they're going to get better and better. And you know, some of those sides in the in that Super League will be looking at Salford ladies and thinking, blimey, you know, they're they're a team that's that's coming for us. So uh, so yeah, 
best of luck next in the next game. Who, who do they play next, Rob? Play Swinton uh, Lionesses next week uh, in the in the League Cup. But let, let's be honest, it's not all about about Lucy. Uh, they've won three games in you know they won three wins in three games. Paul scored 148 points in them three games and seeded nil. So we talk about our fantastic try scoring uh, record. The defence is is brilliant as well. Yeah, I think you've got to give some credit to to the coaching uh, staff there and the way they've got the ladies drilled and. How they're, how they're doing, the, you know, you know the fitness of them as well. I mean, it's a physical sport, is rugby league, and to to keep a side out, that takes some some discipline, and um, you know, you know, and, and you've got to be on it, haven't you, in concentration levels and that. So, I think they're a very very well organised side from from what we see and what we hear. So, um, yeah, that that a lot of that's down to your coaching as well. I think they've got some good people down there coaching the, the ladies. Yeah, Chris Bates will be uh, purring with anticipation for that next contest. And obviously with uh, with fixtures in the league to come, you know, this uh, Salford Red Devils ladies team, you know, the, the world is their oyster. Who knows what might happen? We'll be talking about it on the Sports Zone uh, on Salford City Radio, keeping you updated on their uh, adventure. Let's talk about Swinton Lions now, Paul. Their first league game of the season uh, and they beat West Wales 82 points to four. Great result uh, for Alan Coleman's men. Yeah, they'll be top of the league, Swindon, won't they? Uh, yeah. So, a good start. but And it's a good start as well because I know West Wales are probably going to be the, the struggling boys, but it's always nice to get off with a win. Rochdale Arnett's and Oldham, the other two sort of north-west sides, were both beaten, both beaten at home as well. So, uh, they're tipped to, to do well. Keith Lacougas, though, good win. They want to hold them really well. So, um, I think they're one of the sides that, that I fancied to do well. I think Hunslet had a decent win. But Keithley, you know, Swinton went there in a friendly and, and, and beat them. So, Swinton, for me, are probably going to be the side to, to watch in that league. They've just got to keep their, uh, their feet on the ground now. And, you know, and concentration levels have got to be good because you're going to be playing tougher teams than West Wales. No disrespect to them, but there's some tough sides in that that league. North Wales Crusaders, I think, are possibly dark horse because they had a good win at Rochdale. So, uh, so yeah, but but a good start to Swinton. You, you can't argue with that. It's, it's a big win, that, you know, plenty of points scored. That'll definitely get the confidence going. I mean, there's nothing like scoring tries and, and, you know, playing with a smile on your face to build confidence. And that's a exactly what they've done they've got the job done in in round one yeah they spread the tries around as well uh, two from Liam uh, Forsyth two for Max Roberts two for Mike Butt two for Dan Abraham there's, there's potential all over the field for Swinton and, and that's the Alan Coleman he'll be looking at and think you know I've got strike power all over so I've got danger uh, and that's great for the, the, the Lions uh, fans to watch yeah, Liam Forsyth has played at Swinton before, and I think he's back for his, his second spell, and he, he's a quality player. So that's it's good to have him back there, Mike. But I mean, he scores every week, Mike. But he's uh, he's got a tremendous uh, try record. But there's some good players there as well, and some good young players at Swinton. So um, so yeah, I think they've got a core of a really good side there, Alan Coleman. And as I've said, they're, they're going to be title contenders. There's no doubt about that. If as long as they can keep their heads, keep concentrating, and just. You know, just keep knocking teams off week in, week out. You know, it's, it's a difficult league, but uh, but I think they, they've. It's going to be a fascinating league to watch. That you know, it really is. You know, with 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 the two northwest sides in Oldham and Rochdale there to to play for Swinton. You've got some real derby matches there as well as you, as well as you travelling as well to do to London and uh, the Midlands and and it's Cornwall as well in that league. So there's some tough uh, tough road trips, but it's going to be an exciting league to watch. You know, particularly the uh, the Arnets and Oldham games. Yeah, the. Swinton face uh, Midland Hurricanes uh, away in their next fixture uh, next Sunday. The uh, obviously away games are always tough. 
but I'm sure the Lions, after that victory today, will be uh, full of confidence and wanting to get another two points. Yeah, you say it's going to be favourites for that. I think Midland Hurricanes used to be the Coventry Bears, didn't they? So um, Coventry are making quite a bit of um, bit of progress down there in the Midlands. You know, they've got quite a lot of young kids playing the game, and you know, rugby. It's not a real rugby league area, but I think they've done really well there to, to spread the game around the city. So, uh, so yeah, that that won't be it. Won't be easy. You know, away from home, it's always tough. So it's another test for Swinton, but I'd be expecting them to get another win. But uh, but like I said, they just got to take each game as it comes now and uh, and and use that sort of promotion as their target now and, and to get back into that championship but uh, but yeah that, that'll be that'll be a tough game in the Midlands yeah so that's all the rugby chat uh, Paul and now we're going to talk uh, boxing with James we absolutely are Rob and first things first before I move on to the box and I, I must admit that I'm a massive fan of the chat you've come up with and I'm so glad that it has gone viral <laughs> Moving on to Thanks, the James. world of combat sports, Paul. There's no worries at all, Rob. There's so much to talk about. The biggest news probably this week is that Alexander Usyk has received permission to leave Ukraine and begin his training for the Anthony Joshua rematch, meaning that an interim fight for the Brit is out the window. He won't have any time to adapt to his new training team. He's diving right in in the deep end. Yeah, he certainly is. And it's good news for... Um... Alexander Usyk, isn't he? I mean, he's probably been going through uh, all sorts of emotions recently, so uh, he's going to be switched on for Anthony Joshua, there's no doubt about that. I think he'll be taking all his emotion into the ring. For Anthony Joshua, he's got to prepare now, and if I was uh, Joshua's sort of coaching team and trainer, I'd, I'd be taking Anthony back to Anthony Joshua back to basics, really. You know, he's a demolition man, and I think he's gone away from that in, in the last couple of fights and he needs to get back to being that demolition man and taking that into the ring. He was a, a fighter to be feared, wasn't he, when he first came along? And you looked at him and you thought, Plan, he's, he's, he's going to absolutely smash people in there. And that's what he was doing. And he seems to have come away from that a bit. And I think, you know, it's going to be tough for him to beat Alexander Usyk, but I think his best way is going back to uh, how, he, how he started, really. Yeah, it's going to be difficult to, to sort of see that path to victory for him. With going straight in, with going in with a new training team, he does have to get back to his basics, back to his fundamentals. Do you think AJ's lost something in his last few fights? Because on the build-up, he was a demolition machine. And until the moment he was knocked down by Vladimir Klitschko, that's what he was. After that fight, he started getting on his jab more, he started boxing more, and he lost the beast that he used to be. Yeah, I think so. I mean, like you say there, I mean, I think that once you get that big knockdown or something like that, perhaps you don't feel as invincible as what you were because somebody's actually got inside you and, 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 and done the business on you. So, so yeah, I think you lose a bit of that invincibility then. But, um, but for me, he did change a lot of his boxing. Like you said, they did start to, to box more, get behind his jab. And I don't think, yeah, obviously you've got to do the fundamentals, but I, I think he's better at, at being that that beast. Really, you know, how many fighters did he sort of catch? They were like rabbits in the headlights, weren't they? Really, people who fought him. He jumped on top of him, and once he got on top of you like that, there was no escape. There was no escape whatsoever. It was like a sort of a, a lion going after, you know, I don't know what do they go after lions, um, zebras or whatever in the, in, the, in the desert. That's what he was like. He, he wouldn't let you go at all. He was. Um, relentless um, and I think he needs to get that back I mean if he's to step back in with, with Usyk tomorrow if he tries to box Usyk I don't think he beats him I think Usyk could box you out box you all day because he's he's such a quality fighter so so if he's to win that fight I think it's through brute strength and, and, and back to the way that he used to fight because he was he was good to watch 
Yeah, he was. He was about as explosive as any fighter in the world. He was going through people. He was extremely exciting. So hopefully, from a British perspective, he can go back to basics and find that monster that he used to be and, and come away from being this tame boxer. I mean, I suppose the critique he had was that he wasn't technically good enough and that people said, you'll never be as good as Fury. You'll, you'll never have that technical ability. So maybe that influenced him to go more down that route. But I think often fighters for some reason, get into the zone of trying to improve the things they're bad at, which, of course, you have to do. But then they try and make that their forte and forget what got them to the dance. Exactly, exactly. And I think you're spot on there when you say that. People criticise him, saying you're never going to be, you know, we're never going to be as good as Fury and things like that. If he got in there and beat Fury, it doesn't make any difference who's the better technical fighter, who's who does the, the, the nice stuff better. Once you beat that person, to me, you're better than them. It doesn't make any difference, and you, and you can live with that for, forever, can't you? It's like the Khan and Brook fight. Amir Khan can say all he wants about how technically good he is and what have you. The people only ever remember the result that Kale Brook beat him, and you know that's in black and white. Then so uh, so I don't I don't sort of buy all that the way they say. Oh, he's such a he's technically better and what have you. At the end of the day, people remember records, remember wins, don't they? And Anthony Joshua looked. Like nobody could really, really beat him the way he used to box, and um, yeah, in fact, if I was was Anthony Joshua, that's the way I'd be going back to being be that demolition man. And, and once you like that in heavyweight boxing, you can beat anybody on your day, and um, and yeah, and I think he'd he'd be like that definitely. Moving on to the other big heavyweight division, we've mentioned him a little bit, but now cruising into his main story, and it's Tyson Fury and Dillian White. This fight's an extremely interesting one. In the build-up, we're yet to hear a squeak from White. Absolutely nothing from him. In a recent TalkSport interview, Frank Warren, uh, Fury's promoter, and Dillian White's lawyer got into a heated argument back and forth about money going into escrows and what White should be paid or should not be paid for promoting this fight effectively. Warren has Andy Ruiz and a couple of other fighters on standby in case this fight doesn't happen. I mean, from your perspective, Paul, is this going to get over the line? Are we going to see Fury and White? Is White playing a blinder from the mind games? Is he just being petty? It's such a hard thing to evaluate at the moment. Yeah, he certainly is. I mean, you would like to think that Dylan White's just completely, you know, zoned out, doing his training, living and breathing the sport, getting an early night every night, and and just um, just getting his head down and, and being focused for what would be an absolutely massive task, you know, to, I mean, if someone told me I was fighting Tyson for I mean, you'd have to, your preparation, it'd be no stone unturned, wouldn't it? You'd have to live and breathe the sport through that camp to even stand a chance. So you'd like to think that that's what's happening. But just with you saying there about other fighters being on standby and things like that, you just make you start wondering then because in boxing, sometimes that, that sort of thing happens. There's, there's money arguments, there's purse arguments and, and things sometimes don't happen. And it'd be a real shame because, I think the British public are looking forward to this fight, aren't they? It's going to be explosive. You've got two fighters who, who fight totally differently. And um, and I think the styles are really gelling. It could be, it could be a real good shootout, that, between those two. So I hope it comes off. I really do. Looking at some of the action from the week just gone, first of all, we're going to kick it off in Newcastle. On Friday night, Lewis Ritson defeated Dejan's Latichin by unanimous decision with the Newcastle man winning near enough every single round. We talked last week how the Montenegrin, a good fighter in his day, beating the likes of Ricky Burns, but Ritson too good for him. Yeah, it's nice to see Lewis Ritson back 
you know, the Sandman. It's nice to see him back um, back winning fights because um, he was a very, very promising young fighter and, you know, took a bit of a dip in his career. But he's a big ticket seller in the North East as well, isn't he? And uh, it's good to see him back winning. And, you know, he, he did very well in that fight. As you say there, I think he won nearly every round, didn't he? And boxed very, very well. So uh, I think there's some big fights for him around the corner. There's some probably big domestic fights for him as well. But I think he's looking more towards world stage as well. And, uh, and, why, and why not? He's, he's definitely he's got the talent. Yeah, and now moving on to Leeds, one of the greatest atmospheres in the country. Josh Warrington versus Kiko Martinez. And the Leeds Warrior is a two-time champion of the world. He defeats Kiko in the seventh round to pick up the IBF title. He vacated to avoid Kid Galahad a few fights ago and then ended up getting knocked out by Lara. People are viewing this in different ways, Paul. You've got the narrative of Warrington rising from the ashes picking up a world title again for the second time. But then you've got the conflicting people, the people are hating on that narrative, saying that he's only won a title back that he vacated in the first place and that he had to use headbutts to get the victory. How, how do you analyse this one? Well, I think Josh Warrington has done, done very well there against Kiko Miners. It was um, a potential banana skin for him. You know, you think about Kiko Miners, he's one of the toughest fighters at that weight division. In the world, you know how many fights has Martin has? He's probably had about fifty odd fights now. He's been seems to have been around forever, but he's he's tough as old boots, isn't he? And I mean, if you go back quite a number of years, I remember the the Scott Quigg fight and, and one or two other fights, and he was, he was well beaten. But he's come back really, really well. And like we, we were talking about the Kid Gallard victory, um, you know, if you last last week, I think it was, wasn't it? And he's come back really well, like, like the, the comeback man, really, uh, Martin. Has. So uh, so I thought Warrington did really well to to, to win that fight and. Uh, a talented, uh, talented boxer, Josh Warrington. And nice to see him win his titles back. He's another one. He's a, he's a big favourite up there in Leeds. You know, big ticket seller, big character as well. Nice fella he seemed as well when you speak, hear him speaking outside the ring. So I was pleased for him. I, I thought he boxed pretty well. And to get the, the stoppage like he did was a good performance. Where does he go from here? Because there's big fights with Lee Wood out there. There's the trilogy fight with Lara. There's trips to Las Vegas for the likes of Leo Santa Cruz. So what's the best option for him? Um, well... If you, if you was just promoter, you'd want him out there in Las Vegas, wouldn't you? Fighting the the big names because it's just it's a boxing is a sort of a sport that doesn't go on forever, and you probably want to financially secure himself and his family and things like that. So yeah, there's there's big domestic clashes there, like we like I said with Lee Wood. But I think you know if if I was his manager and his promoter, I'd be saying, you know, you you're not getting any younger now. You've had some real real tough fights. How many fights have you got left in you? I'd like to see him, you know, go abroad there, over to America, and uh, make himself some money, and you know, try and produce a bit of a legacy. So, uh, so yeah, I'm sure he'll go down some sort of road. Like I would have thought. Yeah, and looking at some of the action coming up, a fight we've just had signed: Cambosos versus Haney. It is on. It'll take place in Australia. Devin signing a multi-fight deal with top rank. And should he win both fights, he'll take on Vasily Lomachenko. It's taken a long time to get this on the road, but we finally got it. Yeah, we certainly haven't. Just just mentioned there, Lomachenko, that would be a, another mouth-watering fight. And we've seen we've said it a hundred times, haven't we, when we've, we spoke about the, the politics of boxing. And sometimes it just seems to take ages for him to get around the table. They, and they say it boxers, don't they? Oh, yeah, my parole is going to speak to such a promote. We're going to get around the table. How long does it take for him to, to get around the table and have these meetings? Because it just seems to take ages. But uh, no, glad to see that, that that fight's finally been made. Yeah, just while we're on the topic of Australia, I might as well mention it. Ebony Bridge is becoming a world champion on the undercard of Josh Warrington. Of course, she's 
rose to fame through her exploits at weigh-ins wearing lingerie, but it turns out she can fight as well. And Maxi Hughes beating Ryan Walsh in a good fight as well to retain his IBO belt. Yeah, that was a good result. That was a good result for Maxi Hughes. And uh, like you say, I mean, he bridges his... No, talented boxer as well. You know, like you said about the Wayans. Yeah, very nice. But the the, um, <laughs> the the boxing, yeah, she can punch as well. She's a terrific boxer. And we've got some some really good ladies boxing coming up, haven't we? Savannah Marshall, I think, is in action this weekend. So that's she's very talented. So I'm really looking forward to, to seeing how she goes. And uh, and yeah, we've had some some real good fight nights. We had a, a cracking fight night at Wembley Arena at the weekend as well, which I enjoyed. There were some good fights on that card. So yeah, there's been some, some good action last few weeks. It's been coming thick and fast, the, the, the boxing the last few weeks. Most certainly has. We can't wait for that Savannah Marshall fight next week and hopefully she can get Clarissa Shields a little bit later down the line where we're giving a full breakdown of the action from Newcastle next week. But just a couple more stories from the world of boxing before we conclude. Deontay Wilder's brother, Marcellus, got back in the ring this weekend after losing his last two fights via stunning one-punch knockouts. Uh, so a bit embarrassing for him, but he got back in the ring against a journeyman. He lost... Uh, he's now dropped down to five and three as a professional. His opponent is seven and thirteen, and had lost his last nine. It, it sort of appears like it's just not going to work out for Marcelos in the boxing game. No, no, it, it, it doesn't sound that way, really, does it? I think you, you, it's all about levels, isn't it? And perhaps that that sort of is his level, maybe a journeyman level, a bit of a gatekeeper. So if you if you're losing to people with records like that and you you're not really going to uh, going to go much further are you? so shame for him that but you know if he if he loves the sport and he enjoys it you don't have to be winning every fight do you you, you can enjoy your sport by sort of being that that you know journeyman so uh, so yeah i don't know what his uh, his feelings are on that but it doesn't sound like he's going to be the same sort of level as his brother yeah most certainly not Javonta uh, Davis we've got a couple things here so quick fire 10 second answers Paul let's do this Javonta Davis he split with Floyd Mayweather he'll no longer be promoted he was missing out on some of the big fights in the division so hopefully now he can get them yeah let's hope so yeah that's a quick answer for you <laughs> and last one to conclude Paul we've got about 30 seconds on the clock uh, Don King winning the purse bids for Trevor Brown versus Daniel Dubois bidding 3 million for the rights 55-45 split in Brian's favour, but Don King is taking them to court. He wants it to be 75-25. Blimey. I, I, I don't know what to say to that one, mate. No. So, yeah. still, still plenty of money, mate. Still plenty of money there. The most certainly is. Anyway, thank you all for joining us on the sport. So, me, Robin Paulie, back this time next week. <laughs> <laughs>